we often think it's only in the good times, the times of providence and abundance that God reveals himself, but it's as David penned in Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for what? You are with me. What did David learn in the darkest parts of his life is that God is omnipresent. Although I'm going through this place that is dark, it feels like I'm gonna die. He says, I am not afraid because you're with me in all of it. That was something that David learned. It was in the valley for David that he learned God's omnipresence. And for Jonah, it was in the depths of his own failures that Jonah is awakened to God's grace. Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. Well, we're continuing our study through the book of Jonah, and tonight we're going to pick up in chapter 2. So, I'm going to turn there myself. And all right, you guys ready? All right, let's do it. 30 minutes, here we go. All right, it's going to go quick. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, again for your word. Just the testimony tonight to hear of your power, and God, your pursuit of us, and Lord, it's so amazing to see how um, you are so patient and, and to wait for each of us to be ready to receive you. And um, Lord, we pray tonight that, God, whatever we've been going through this week, uh, whatever we've been going through personally, God, we just pray our hearts would be softened to you to hear from you tonight, Lord, that uh, anytime your word is open, we want to draw in close to hear what you would have to say. And so, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us now uh, through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's look at verse one. It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. It was Charles Spurgeon who said, The Lord's mercy often rides to the door of our hearts on the black horse of affliction. And Jesus uses the whole range of our experiences to wean us from the world and to woo us to heaven. And this has been true of what we're seeing in the life of Jonah. Uh, Jonah was a prophet in ancient Israel whose job it was to represent God to the people. But when Jonah was called by God to go to Nineveh, a wicked and Gentile nation, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, Jonah boarded a boat and fled to the opposite direction of the earth to the uttermost part, to the, the um, kind of the end of the earth was this place called Tarshish. And that's where Jonah then boarded a boat to escape the call of God upon his life. Jonah then heads in a downward spiral as he makes his way to the bottom of the boat where he then falls asleep only to then be awakened by the captain who tells them that they are in a horrible storm, which seems to be supernatural. He says there's something unnatural about the storm that we're in. And he calls all of the sailors, like, pray to your God, whoever that God is, pray to it that we might find out, like, what this is. Because this is a storm unlike anything we've ever experienced. And Jonah knows that it's because of his own disobedience to the Lord. Last time we were together, we looked at the consequences of sin and how sometimes those consequences come upon us. And yet, ultimately, we experience the consequences of our sin, because sin has consequences, but ultimately, we never feel the full weight of the punishment of those sins because Jesus Christ took the punishment 
for us upon the cross. Jesus is the one, like Jonah, who would be thrown then into the sea. Um, Jesus is the one who jumped into our mess, took our place, and um, the storm of God's wrath had ceased. But Jonah tells the men on the, sh on the ship, like, throw me in. The this is the end for me. Like, this is my last stop. Uh, this is my fault. Um, see ya, throw me in. If you want the storm to stop, like, this is what you need to do. And the men were like, no, we will row. We are men. We're going to row our way out of this. And they tried. And they finally got to the point where like, you know what? We're just going to throw this guy in. <laughs> it's not working. Like the ship was breaking apart. Like that's how, how gnarly the storm was. And so they said, we're, either it's him or it's us. Let it be him. So they threw him into the, into the ocean there and the, the storm stopped. But it doesn't stop there. We, we read in, in verse 17 of chapter 1 that God had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And that fish was, is symbolic of God's grace and mercy, that it was prepared for him. Like ultimately God was preparing enough grace and mercy for Jonah even in the mess that he had created. So we're going to, we're going to be looking at the grace of God. There's lots of things that, that we don't expect to find here. And one of those is, number one, Jonah at the bottom of the, of the sea in the belly of the fish. Like We don't expect to see that there. But what we also don't expect to see in chapter two is the grace of God. And that's what we're going to find at, at, in this chapter. We're going to look at the grace of God tonight and the difference it makes in our lives. What is the grace of God? What is grace itself? Um, it is something perhaps that you're familiar with, that I'm familiar with, but we may neglect to experience God's life-giving grace every single day. I think it's easy to, to um, come about grace in a certain way where we're like, yeah, we know that God's gracious and I understand God's grace, but I think this story, unlike any other, gives us a wonderful and an in-depth look as to what the grace of God actually looks like. That the grace of God has nothing to do with, it's not a supplement to who you are. Like you're not a good person and then God's also a little bit gracious to you, right? It's not like this, this pill that we take that like kind of enhances who we are. But in fact, we are depraved, sinful, utterly sinful, and God is still gracious. And so we're going to look at a little bit of that tonight. Maybe tonight that's where you are. Maybe you aren't saved and you're here tonight because you know that there's some stuff that you've been into and maybe coming to church will cancel out that stuff. Like I've been doing some bad things, so if I do some good things, like it'll even things out. Understand that that doesn't work. Sin does not, it's not weighing things out. Like you can't cancel out the bad with good. That doesn't work when it comes to the Lord. Sin equals death. There's nothing else that can equal life. Like that's it. Sin equals death for us. Maybe you're here tonight and you feel like, man, I've been walking with the Lord for a while and I feel like my Christianity has just plateaued. Like it's boring. Like my, my Christian walk is just a boring thing. Like it's a part of like who I am as a child. I like grew up in this and it's like, yeah, I'm just kind of bored with all of it. Perhaps it's because you're not doing anything and that's why it's boring. Or maybe you're losing hope or you're experiencing loss. My prayer is that you will rediscover God's grace this evening as we read this story. After all, Titus chapter 2, the Apostle Paul writes, 
For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our Lord God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Did you catch that beginning sentence? The, the grace of God has appeared to all men, brings salvation, teaching us. So, so Paul's saying, let's let grace be our teacher and our instructor. What is grace teaching us this evening? Paul says to Titus, it teaches us that we are to deny the, the, the lust of the flesh, the, things, the disobedience to the Lord. That's what God's grace teaches me. Because God pours out upon me his grace, something that I don't deserve. So, right, it's God saying, not, your sin is not going to be placed upon you. The penalty of it, it's put upon Jesus. Not because of anything you do, but because of who Jesus is. Jesus took your punishment, therefore you get grace. There's an exchange that happens. So you don't get the punishment for your sin. Jesus took that. You get to receive grace by faith. What a wonderful God we serve. Okay, so, so that's the idea. And he says, let, let's for a second think about what does that teach us? Romans, Paul writes, grace is not something that is to be abused. Or if God is so gracious, then I can just keep on sinning as though it doesn't matter, as though God doesn't care about sin. Where in fact, Jonah teaches us that God cares about sin, doesn't he? So much so that he creates this wind and storm that comes upon Jonah's life as a consequence to his decision. God cares about sin and he cares about you enough to allow you to experience the consequence of sin so that you will turn back to God. It's his wake-up call. It's his desire to show you grace where we would experience the full weight of our punishment in hell. God says, I want you to experience my grace instead. So grace teaches us, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present age. It teaches me, if I've received this wonderful, wonderful, wonderful salvation because of Jesus Christ upon the cross, not because of anything that I have done, but because all that Jesus has done, what does that teach me as a believer? That I should live in this new life that Jesus offers me. Look what he's provided. Why wouldn't I continue to live? Yes, I slip. And that's what he then goes on to say. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our God and, Jesus, uh, God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So when I slip up, when I mess up, as a Christian, I run back to the cross of grace. And I say, God, forgive me of my sin. I want to get right with you. I want to, I want to walk honor, honorable before you. I want to walk righteously with you. Because I know, God, you're coming back. So the Christian lives within these two events, the crucifixion, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the second coming of Jesus. When I mess up, grace teaches me to run to the cross. The second coming of Jesus, that he's coming for me, he's coming for you to take us to heaven. It teaches me and it teaches you that we ought to live a different kind of life. Not abusing God's grace, not as a license to sin, but as a reason to live righteous because God is so good. And that's what Jonah is about to learn. He is about to enter into and receive an education in grace. How do we know that Jonah is learning of God's grace? Number one, you're taking notes, or if you're listening, verse one and verse two. It says, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. 
Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. Apparently, Jonah did nothing for three days, three nights in the belly of the fish. It was only after that period was over that he prayed. Some people believe that. Like he's just sitting there begrudging like, oh, this is it for me. I'm going to get, I guess, dissolved at some point. I'm just going to, like, right? You're just going to experience the worst possible death. Like he's alive in a fish. And he's like, now if I know how my food, now if I can put two and two together, that's probably my destiny, right? I'm going to be broken down bit by bit. Talk about torture. Dissolved in stomach acid and then released into the ocean. And he's, a lot of commentators are like, that's what he did for three days. And then he got mad and he was like, you know what? I guess I'll pray. Where others believe that he's praying for three days and three nights. And finally he comes to this place. And this prayer here in chapter two is his, he's convinced of God's deliverance. That through his time of prayer and devotion and sitting there and contemplating God and his grace and his mercy and his call to his mission. Jonah says, I know that God is going to deliver me. I'm convinced, and that's what this records. We don't know. All we know is right here what it says, is that he prayed. He was a representative of the Lord. He had been deliberately disobeying God. And for a prophet of God to do this, this is a major offense to the Lord. Like major, like there's no coming back from that. It's like your one job is to like represent God and you're like, no, I'm not going to do that. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Those that said they spoke for God and then what they spoke from God didn't come true, they were stoned to death. So like this is a big deal. And here Jonah is um, experiencing the consequences of his sin. Not only did he know that he deserved to be there because he deliberately disobeyed God, Jonah knew God's word. In fact, he quotes it in his prayer over and over. Psalm 18.6, he says, In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple. Right? He quotes that in, in, in these verses. In Psalm 42.7, he says, Deep calls out unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. Jonah says that as well. Psalm 31, he says, For I said in my haste, I am cut off from before your eyes. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplications when I cried out unto you. So Jonah knew the Bible. Not only did Jonah know that he was called by God, Jonah knew the word of God. So here he is in the belly of the fish, and Jonah was in sin, and he knew it. Like, he knew it. I know your word. I know what you said. And here I am. I didn't obey you. God, I understand. This is what I deserve. And it's at this moment he realizes, as I'm praying, God is hearing me. Why would God hear me? I ran from him. I disobeyed him. I knew his holy scriptures. I knew his word. And I have done the opposite. But yet God is hearing me. What is he learning? God is gracious. Because God hears his prayer. In Luke 18, Jesus tells the story of a, a, a parable of a Pharisee and a tax collector. And he also told this parable. It says, um, two men were up into the temple to pray, and one a Pharisee and the other tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector here. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. 
But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Jonah is learning about God's grace because he realizes that he has no, there is no reason that God should listen to him. Like the tax collector who beat his chest and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I don't even know if you're hearing this because of who I am. And Jesus says, that's the attitude. That's what he saw. This man was so broken over his sin and God says, that's, that's what I'm looking for is a brokenness over sin. And Jonah, as he prays, even says, Lord, I'm amazed that you're hearing me. I'm in the, I'm in a, <laughs> it's not like he's in an RV park, like in, in Arkansas. He's at the bottom of the ocean in the belly of a fish. Like you cannot get any further than he says, even hell itself. And he says, yet God is here and he hears me. Who am I that God would hear me? This is Jonah learning of the grace of God. God hears our prayers. Listen, God hears you when you pray, not because of how good you were this week and how much you read your Bible or how many times you were in children's ministry or how much you served this week. God hears you because God is gracious. And it is his grace that we say yes and amen to. God, thank you that you're gracious. And this is him learning of that. It's as though Jonah is surprised by this grace. He says in verse three, he says, you cast me into the sea, right? <laughs> he says, for you cast me into the deep. How did the story go? Who picked him up and threw him in the sea? The, the sailors, right? And Jonah says, no, 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 no. You threw me here. By your grace, you put me in this spot. God, this is your work. This is your hand. You found me, you searched for me, and even brought me to the end of myself and kept me alive, and here I am, and you hear me. Notice the language he says, at the depths of the dead, look, if, if we go on further. For you cast me in the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me, all your billows and your waves passed over me. He's talking about as he's sinking down in the ocean. Like waves are crashing over him and driving him down into the bottom of the ocean. He says, then I said in verse four, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again until uh, towards your holy temple. The waters surround me even to my soul. The deep closed all around me. Weeds or seaweed is wrapped around my head. I went down to the very roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Notice the language, depths of the dead, the belly of Sheol. There is no situation tonight. There is no situation that God's grace cannot operate in. There is no situation in which you have found yourself in. Maybe it's by your own doing or by the consequences of someone else. There is no situation where God's grace cannot operate. There is no place that you can descend to that God's grace can't reach you. And there's no place that you can ascend to that you don't need God's grace. And Jonah knows it. He knows it was the Lord that threw him into the sea. He was always in the Lord's hands is what he says. Like you chucked me in and the whole time I was running from you and the whole time I couldn't escape you because you're so gracious. Like you're that good that even when I pushed you away, God, you kept coming. You just kept coming. The whole time I was in your hands. 
And the question becomes, like, how can God use such a dark and desperate place to teach us about himself, right? I don't know about you, but I've never been in the belly of a fish, um, nor have I ever been in the depths of the ocean at this point. But we've all experienced dark places. And what Jonah is describing for us is his rock bottom. He says, I'm, I'm experiencing hell, right? Like he says, Sheol, which is this place of outer darkness. But they believe to be in the center of the earth and, and whatever your viewpoint on Sheol is and all of that stuff. But he, he's describing a hell is what he's describing. A place where the presence of God, he says, is distant. Like, I don't feel it. I don't see it. There's no candle in this fish, by the way. It's not like he's sitting there like <laughs> this little bit of light. And he's like writing this down, like pen, pen and paper. Like <laughs> It's not like he had time to go to college in there. And he's like, you know what? I'm learning a lot. I'm learning a lot in here. Man, it smells or whatever. Like he's in total darkness. He's in this hot disgusting place as his skin is being dissolved in stomach acid. Pain, I can talk about pain. He's in outer darkness. He's in the depths of the ocean, which he feels like is the center of the earth. What he's describing is what often the hell is described as. Outer darkness, separation from God, pain unbearable, and it's hot. <laughs> he's saying, I'm experiencing hell, but yet God is here with me. There's nowhere that I could escape. I've been cast out of your sight. He, he uses that term, but we all know it's impossible. David wrote, though I descend into the depths of hell, you are there. Though I make my bed in hell, like that's where I sleep, you're there. If I ascend into the heavens, you are there. There is nowhere I can go that your presence is not there. How can God use such a dark and desperate place to teach, about, teach us about himself? We often think it's only in the good times, the times of providence and abundance that God reveals himself. But it's as David penned in Psalm 23. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for what? You are with me. What did David learn in the darkest parts of his life is that God is omnipresent. That's a theology lesson, isn't it? Although I'm going through this place that is dark, it feels like I'm gonna die. He says, I am not afraid because you're with me in all of it. That was something that David learned. It was in the valley for David that he learned God's omnipresence. And for Jonah, it was in the depths of his own failures that Jonah is awakened to God's grace. Because within these, this dark in desperate place, he sees his need for God's grace. Look what it says in verse four. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. He, the other translations say, driven from your presence, gone to the roots or the, the roots of the mountains. I mean, he says, I'm going underneath where the mountains find their footings and I am barred or imprisoned by the earth. He says, I've sinned. Like, I, I realize it. There was a desperation in his voice that he understands now what sin has done. It has separated him from fellowship with God. But has it really? Had it, had it driven him to a place where he's like, I can't find God? Although he may not sense the presence of God, although he may feel that God can't see him, God saw him. 
right where he was. He realizes I've become a slave because I'm a prisoner. I'm behind bars by my own sin. It's at this moment that the grace of God begins to change Jonah. There was real, a real understanding that I'm sinful, but here's the, the kicker. I cannot clean or fix myself. Here he is. In, this situation is impossible. It's not like he's kicking the fish at this point. Like maybe he'll just get, maybe something's going to happen. It's been three days. Like it's it doom. Like this is doom. In the Jewish culture, after three days, they believe that a body, the spirit would then leave and, and that's it. After those three days, there's no hope of coming back. That's why Jesus waited to go and to bring Lazarus back to life. It's four days, right? He came on the fourth day when there was no hope of anyone saying it was some superstition or some fluke thing, some kind of miracle. This is how we knew it happened. He waited till that guy was as dead as dead could be. Till the body began to decompose. Jesus shows up and says, to prove to you that I am the resurrection and the life, Lazarus come forth. So, so here's the point. Here is this Jewish guy, Jewish prophet saying, I've been in here for three days. There is no hope. All hope is lost. I need God's grace. I am desperate for God's grace. I am barred. I am a prisoner of my own sin. And there is no hope for me. There is a real understanding, and hopefully tonight, there's a real understanding that your sin and my sin, we can't fix it. In the sense that you can't clean yourself. You can't ceremonially cleanse yourself enough to where sin is washed away. Does that make sense? In, in Jewish culture, they would go in these mikvahs. And, and those that were proselytes into Judaism would, would go into these, these baptismals. And they would wash themselves ceremonially. And, and even then, when the sacrifices are going on in the temple for the remission of sin, for the coverings of sin, Right? There they are, and they're sacrificing lambs. They're sacrificing birds unto the Lord. Even at that time, John the Baptist is out in the wilderness preaching the kingdom of God, and you need to be forgiven of your sins. And people are going to the temple and sacrificing their animal. Then they're going out into the wilderness, being dunked in the water, and they're saying, I confess my sin. There was a real understanding that sin was not being washed away. It was not being taken away. It's being covered there was a real like, comprehension that although I have committed these things, there is nothing in my power that I can wash and clean myself. And that, friends, is where we understand the grace of God. Because you and I have a debt that we could not pay. And Jesus paid it. In Matthew 5.30, it says this. Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body go to hell. And Jesus is saying, it's the, the idea to be severe with sin. Like to take it seriously because sin has a consequence. But here's the other part of this text. Say you have no eyes. Does that stop you from lusting? No. Say, say that you cut off your hands, literally. Will that stop you from sinning and violence? No. What is Jesus saying? No matter how much you take care of the outside, only God can take care of the inside. From the depths is where sin comes from. And only God can change the heart. So friends, there's a real understanding tonight that we're sinners. 
I hope you know that's what you are. In the most loving and gracious we, and I include myself on the top of the hill, like if we're in a pyramid as a cheerleading squad, I'm on the top, just <laughs> pom-poms, sin, ner, sin, ner. Like that's, that is, I'm on the top. We are all sinners. And the truth is, is we cannot cleanse ourselves. That's why the blackness of our sin only makes the gospel shine brighter because God steps in. There's a reality here that I am a sinner and I cannot cleanse myself. I need God's grace. And that's what Jonah is saying here. I'm in the depths of hell. And unless God is merciful to me, I'm here and I deserve it. I deserve it. I'm here because I disobeyed God and I deserve it. So lest God jump in and deliver me, then he is totally just in letting me rot here. And Jonah doesn't stay there. So we're not gonna stay there. What, goes, what happens next? There is a reality of that. Like I need to be cleansed. But look at verse four. Yet I will look again to your holy temple. The temple was the place of sacrifice where the, the, we were, um, the place where sacrifice would be made for our sins, for yours and mine, or, or for those of Jewish culture. They would go and they would take an animal and they would have it be a substitute. To the death of the substitute on their behalf, they would have to put their hand upon the animal and the priest would put his hand on the animal between them and God and they would slit the thing's throat and the blood would come out and say, let, let this be, it dies for me. Like, this is my substitute. And they would wait and say, God, would you look upon this and not my sin? Through the death of the substitute on their behalf for their sins they committed. And Jesus, the Lamb of God, who would take away the sins of the world, was our substitute for us so we could be set free. But it's interesting because when Solomon was dedicating this temple that he had built to the Lord, on the day that they dedicated, he prayed this to the Lord. In 1 Kings chapter 8, I think, it says, oh yeah, there it is, chapter 8, 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 38, it says, whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people, Israel, when each one knows the plague of his own heart and spreads out his hands towards this temple, then hear in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and act and give to everyone according to his ways, whose heart you know, for you alone know the hearts of all the sons of men, that they may fear you all the days of their life in the land which you gave to our fathers. Solomon, in dedicating this temple, he prays, God, when any one of your children will look towards your temple and pray, God, would you hear and would you act and would you forgive? And here, you notice what Jonah said, I will look to your holy temple. Jonah wasn't just banking on like, God, hopefully God's in a good mood. He went to the word of God and the promise of God. And he says, I'm going to stand on that. And because he stood on that, he is confident that God is going to deliver him. Guys, we, in your salvation, in your walk with Jesus, you don't just sit here in hopeful wonder that one day when you die, hopefully God's in a good mood that day. You stand and I stand, our faith stands upon the cross of Jesus Christ that says whoever believes in him 
should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is a promise from God. That if you come to Jesus by faith, you shall be saved. And listen, it's totally and purely by God's grace. It has nothing to do with how good and how lovable and how savable you are. It has everything to do with a very good and gracious God. The only thing that God asks and requires of us is that we turn and look. It's called repentance. Like, that's it. Just believe. Also, could you repent? That'd be awesome. Like, that's all he asks of you. And, and God is so good. And that, when we stop being in awe, listen, when you stop being in awe, and when I stop being in awe of God's grace, and I stop being surprised by it, it's when we stop growing in it. This is when we become legalistic. That we sit here and we're going to heaven because of something that we've done. And this is where praise and worship stops. Grace only convinces us of the amazing, wonderful God that we serve. And when we stop being in awe of that, that's when we stop singing and worshiping the Lord. That's when we become sin sniffers, legalistic, pointing it out in everyone else. All the while we're jaded and we're bitter. And we're not experiencing the grace of God. It's here as everything is stripped away in Jonah's life, including his skin, he is again re-amazed at the grace of God. But look at verse six. I went down to the moorings of the mountains, the earth with its bars closed behind me forever, yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Look at verse nine. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving, and I will pay what I vowed, salvation is of the Lord. God's grace delivers Jonah. It's here that God delivers Jonah. God speaks to the fish in verse 10. So the Lord spoke to the fish and vomited. Don't you love that? Isn't that fun? <laughs> vomited Jonah onto the dry land. Now, some say, like, Nineveh is really far from, from the ocean. It's a really far journey. So some are like, he got spit up and then he just walked right into Nineveh. If, if that's true, then this fish can hawk a loogie so far. And like, I'm not denying that God can't do it. I'm just, maybe not. Maybe he had some time to think as he walked to Nineveh. But it says that the Lord delivered him. God speaks to the fish and it vomits Jonah on the beach. Jonah bears the marks and the scars of the experience, but he does not experience the full weight of his disobedience. Oh man, he's got scars. He's got marks. He's probably hairless. His skin is bleached white and he has no clothes and he's got seaweed around his head. He bore scars of what he experienced because of his sin, but it's nothing in comparison if there was no grace. But there he is. Not only is God deliver him, God's grace delivers him, but then God's grace sends him out. Look at verse one of chapter three. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Second time. God is a God of the second chance. God is a God of second chances. If you have breath in your lungs and you have a pulse, you can be saved. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter to the depths or rock bottom how many times you've hit it. God is a God of second chances. His grace is sufficient. His grace can clean you up. You don't have to clean yourself. God does it. You simply have to come. 
You just have to come. And look what happens. The word of the Lord came to him again. God was gracious. And not just gracious with like, hey, we're cool. Everything's cool. You go live your life. I'm going to live my life. We'll talk in like 15 years. He says, now, hey, I still have a mission for you. I still have a purpose for your life. Will you obey me? And God sends him back out. God's grace sends us out. The word of the Lord came to him a second time. God hears him, he saves him, and he sends him the second time. And the same is true for the Christian. If you will cry out to the Lord, no matter where you are, God's grace can reach you. He can save you, not because of anything that you do, but because we have a wonderful substitute in Jesus Christ who took the penalty of our sins upon the cross. But then God sends us on mission as we now get to tell others what God has done in our lives. And this is what God offers us and, and offers to other people. In Matthew 12, verse 40, Jesus says this, check this out. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. If you're here tonight and you're thinking, man, there's no way that God can use my life. It is so broken and in shambles. God can use your failures to point to his triumph. The question is, will you trust him? You know what Jesus, Jesus just said? The sign of who I am is going to be the sign like Jonah. And you're thinking, this is not a good example. Jonah ran. Jonah was in sin. And God says, yeah, I'm going to use that to show you how good, how strong, how gracious I am. I'm going to use your failures, your blunders as a stepping stool for the gospel to show people who Jesus is, who Jesus is. So will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He says, just as Jonah's, Jonah was in hell itself, he was in the belly of the fish and then came back, so the Son of Man will be taken into the grave, but he's coming back. Only a God that is, is that good and that gracious is worth following. There are a lot of false gods and false messiahs in our world, but only this God is worth following. Do you see that tonight? I hope you do. I hope, I hope this proves to you that God is so good that there's nothing else worth following. Because look what he says in verse eight. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. What will keep us from experiencing the grace of God? Worthless idols. Idolatry. Some other thing that we run to, some other thing that we run to for value, some other thing that draws us away from God. He says, that's going to keep you from a grace-filled experience with God. So my prayer is that tonight, man, you are blessed to know that God loves you enough to chase after you no matter what. And there's nowhere you can go. There is nothing that you can do with apart from denying the Holy Spirit to the day that you die. There is nothing that you can do where you can separate yourself from the grace of God. Like you can't. You can't outrun God's grace and you can't outsin God's grace. There's no like level where God's like, this is it. And you're like, I went here and God's like, too bad. <laughs> I ran out. What scripture tells us of God is that with God, it never runs out. That's why he lives in eternity. That's why he always exists. 
That's why with God, he never runs out. It's never like, like, like where God's scrimping in his pockets, like just the bottom of the barrel. God has more than we could ever desire, especially when it comes to grace. Aren't you glad? And that changes everything for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your grace. Lord, I pray right now as the devil begins to throw in our face all the sins that we've been involved with. Lord, even now the things that we're, we're thinking of and we're like, how can I think of that in church? God, I pray right now that your grace would come upon us. Lord, that you love us and you want to have fellowship with us. You want to draw close to us because that's who you are and you love us, Lord. And God, we want to return that back to you. We want to say, God, we love you. We love you, Lord, because of, of what you've done for us. Your grace has taught us to deny these things. And so, Lord, we run to the foot of the cross and God, we say, please forgive us. We have a debt that we could not pay and Jesus, we're so thankful that you paid it for us. And so, God, all we can do is sit here and say thank you. Give you praise. Give you honor. Give you glory. Give you the seat upon our heart as king. Because you purchased us, not with silver and gold, but with your own blood. God, we thank you that your veins were opened. That your blood was shed so that we could have access to you. That we can go to heaven. And so, Lord, we pray tonight that these things would continue to, to just minister to us in such a way, Lord. If anyone feels, Lord, they can't lift their hands, they can't come close to you. God, would your word teach them? Would your Holy Spirit show them that this is why you died? This is why you came. So that they would have a relationship with you and know you. That their sin is as far as the east is from the west. It doesn't exist. And so, Lord, we thank you for your goodness tonight. We thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that this, this idea of grace, Lord, what your word teaches us of grace, we would grow in that, Lord. We would show that to other people. What, what grace we have been shown, God, would we show that to others because you've been so good to us. How can, I, how can I say anything against anyone else? And so, Lord, we love you. We thank you. God, we, we give you all praise, all glory. In Jesus' name, amen.